0: howdy and welcome to wise about texas the award-winning texas history podcast i'm your host ken wise and i am very grateful that you tuned in today to share in a little texas history this episode is being released in august 2019 so i hope your summer is winding down in good fashion you might have time for one more quick road trip if you hurry before it's back to the grind, so I hope you get to take that time off. There's a lot happening around Wise About Texas World Headquarters. Uh, we've had some great events down in the Houston area that I've gotten to be a part of. One that was very special, I got to introduce the great author Stephen Harrigan at a, in an event uh, celebrating the upcoming release of his new History of Texas. That occurred down at the Bryan Museum in Galveston. Now, the Bryan Museum's made an appearance on this podcast several times. It's a very interesting place. Uh, You should definitely check it out. I also had the pleasure of hosting a Texas Ranger History Symposium in Fredericksburg, Texas, in the heart of the hill country. A few weeks ago, that symposium was put on by the former Texas Ranger Foundation at the Texas Ranger Heritage Center. Man, we had a great day. We got to uh, hear about the East Texas Troubles from Dr. Jody Ginn who has a new book of uh, that same title. And uh, we got to hear about Texas Ranger Will Wright from uh, Dr. Rick McCaslin at the University of North Texas who's got a book coming out uh, about a year from now as he's fond of putting it talking about uh, Will Wright and it's going to be a great one. I've been doing a lot of speaking around the state and uh, I've got a very interesting couple of podcasting uh, site visits perhaps coming up so stay tuned for some uh, we're going to take wise about texas on the road a little bit i want to mention one thing that's come up from uh, some of my listeners uh, and that is uh, my service as a judge and upcoming judicial campaign Uh, judges do run for election i'm up for election in 2020 but uh, this is not the place for politics this is history only Uh, There's a Justice Ken Wise Facebook page, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Judge Wise. If you want the politics stuff, that's where you find it. And uh, we're going to keep Wise About Texas all about Texas history. But we were speaking of law and order uh, when we're talking about judges. So today we're going to talk a little bit about law and order. And we're going to West Texas a little over 100 years ago. And really we're going to be talking about the lack of law and order. You know, railroads opened up West Texas to settlement, but the relative desolation of the landscape, so to speak, made those trains good targets for train robbers. It's a lonely train ride through the mountains and plains of West Texas. Well, one day, some fairly experienced criminals thought they'd pull a quick robbery and disappear into that vast West Texas landscape, but they picked the wrong train. So let's get on the Galveston, Harrisburg, and San Antonio Railway and get wise about Texas. Ben Kilpatrick was a criminal. He was also a Texan. He was born in Concho County in 1874, and he got to work as a cowboy. But that wasn't paying enough for old Ben, so he hooked up with some fellow cowboys, and they decided to become train robbers. Ben was a big guy, he was about six foot two, and they called him the Tall Texan. Well, one of those train robberies went bad, and Ben had to run. So he ran to Utah, and he supposedly hid out in a rough area of Utah consisting of a bunch of draws and canyons and cliffs, and it had been used as a hideout since the 1870s. Here gathered. All sorts of villainous scum, to borrow a phrase from Star Wars. Now, I don't want you all to tell anyone I just mentioned Star Wars on this podcast, but I, d- I did, so let the record reflect that I quoted the 1977 Star Wars. Um, anyway, Ben Kilpatrick ran to this area in Utah, and among the men who used what this area, which came to be known as Robber's Roost, was a guy named Robert Parker. Well, Robert Parker later changed his name to Butch Cassidy. So Ben Kilpatrick had hooked up with Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, and others and rode with the infamous Wild Bunch. Now the Wild Bunch had some success robbing banks and trains and generally wreaking havoc in the West. But the law finally caught up with Kilpatrick and another one of the Wild Bunch gang, a man named William Carver. They caught him around Sonora, Texas in 1901. Guns were drawn and Carver didn't make it. He was killed. Kilpatrick escaped, though, and he fled to St. Louis with his girlfriend and fellow criminal, Laura Bullion. Now, Laura had her own story, which I'm going to release to the patrons of this show in a a bonus episode. But we're going to talk about Ben Kilpatrick. The law caught up, finally, to Kilpatrick. He was arrested, convicted, and he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. He started serving that time in federal prison in Atlanta. And it was there that he met Ole Hoback. Now, Ole Ole is an interesting name, and Hoback had several aliases, uh, but Ole is the one that uh, is relevant to this story. It's spelled O-L-E, and I believe it is pronounced Ole, and that's the way I'm going to say it. If you all know different, let me know. So Ben Kilpatrick and Ole Hoback are fellow prisoners in Atlanta, Georgia, and they're cooking up a scheme. Meanwhile, let's go back to 1850 and talk about the railroad. It was in 1850 that the Buffalo Bayou, Brazos, and Colorado Railway Company was chartered. This was the first railroad to begin operations in Texas, and it was only the second railroad west of the Mississippi. Eventually, they changed the name to the Galveston, Harrisburg, and San Antonio Railroad in 1870. As it expanded west, it started nicknaming itself the Sunset Route. And interestingly, uh, the Sunset Route is still used uh, today, 2019, by Amtrak for passenger service along the same rails that uh, the original railroad followed. They call that train the Sunset Limited. And it runs from Los Angeles all the way to Jacksonville, Florida. Eventually, the Galveston-Harrisburg and San antonio Railroad became part of the Southern Pacific System, but on March 12th, 1912, it was still the Galveston, Harrisburg, and San Antonio, and its train number nine left Del Rio, Texas, headed west. It left the station about eight o'clock at night. Well, those steam engines needed water, so it made a stop at Dryden, Texas, for water. At that point, two men jumped on board the engine. They weren't passengers and they weren't railroad workers. They were Ben Kilpatrick and Ole Hoback. The robbers ordered the porter to uncouple the passengers' cars from the rest of the train. That left the engine, the mail car, and the baggage car as one train, and the passengers stranded in their cars on the tracks at Dryden. Now on board the train, were two Wells Fargo employees working on the train, one named J.K. Reagan and another named David Truesdale. And they would have been up in the mail and baggage cars, so the robbers rounded up the two Wells Fargo employees. There was also a mail attendant named Mr. Banks. They made everybody come up to the engine. Then the robbers ordered the engineer to move the train forward to a turn in the tracks called Baxter's Curve. So now they've separated the train and the train workers from the passengers. Now some accounts say there was a kid holding the horses at Baxter's Curve, and some don't, but it really didn't matter for this story. After reaching Baxter's Curve, the robbers made the train stop, and their dastardly work began. What they did is they made Reagan and Truesdale, the Wells Fargo agents, go back to the mail car so they could rifle through the mail. Now, Hobeck and Kilpatrick were rude to these agents. They were poking them with their rifles. They were insulting them and degrading them and generally making a nuisance of themselves. Hobeck stayed behind uh, as they moved down the train to guard the engineer and make sure that train stayed put. So after Kilpatrick was done in the mail car, he moved Truesdale and Reagan back to the baggage car to see what else he could steal. For some inexplicable reason. Kilpatrick chose to go into the car first. He eased into the baggage car, and Truesdale and Reagan were following him. But Truesdale had an idea. Truesdale showed Kilpatrick a few items, and Kilpatrick basically said, well I'm not sure, I don't really want any of it. Truesdale made a point to tell Kilpatrick You know what? Wells Fargo's not paying me to fight you, so go ahead and take whatever you want. I don't care. Well, this apparently softened Kilpatrick's attitude, and he continued nosing around the baggage car, again in front of Truesdale and Reagan, to see what was around that he might want to steal. Well, one of the items of cargo being shipped on this train was oysters, and the oysters, of course, were packed in ice. And to make sure the ice didn't bunch together, there was a wooden mallet sitting on top of the oysters. So as Kilpatrick moved further into the car, Truesdale grabbed the ice mallet, and this was a wooden mallet of fairly decent size, and stashed it under his overcoat. Then he went up to Kilpatrick and pointed out a package in the car and told Kilpatrick that that package was worth more than anything Kilpatrick had already seen or taken. So Kilpatrick got excited. He set his rifle down against his right leg and he bent over to pick up the package. Well out came the mallet and Truesdale hit the bandit right at the base of his skull. Truesdale said later it, quote, unjoined his head from his neck, close quote. Now here's Truesdale's exact description after delivering that first blow quote then I struck him two more blows on the top of the head after he'd fallen and knocked his brains out on the third blow close quote so Truesdale obviously had a uh, pretty good swing Reagan was interviewed later by a newspaper in El Paso and he said that he thought Truesdale had hit the Kilpatrick a dozen times but in the excitement of the moment you might imagine how the accounts might differ plus, It was dark in that baggage car. With Kilpatrick dead on the floor, Reagan grabbed a gun that he kept in the baggage car for exactly such opportunities, and Truesdale took Kilpatrick's rifle. Reagan got up on some boxes, making some high ground for himself, and Truesdale sunk into the back of the car. Then they were quiet, and they waited, and they waited and they waited. Finally, Hobeck couldn't take it anymore. After about an hour, he walked back to the baggage car to see where his partner had gone. When he opened the door and walked in the car, Truesdale and Reagan opened up. They killed Hobeck immediately. Reagan later credited Truesdale with the kill shot, but Truesdale and Reagan in their actions had saved the day. Well, the train was reunited and the passengers learned what had happened. They passed the hat amongst themselves and awarded Truesdale $51. As the train then pulled into the Sanderson, the next town down the line, the sheriff pulled the bodies of the robbers off the train. They were cleaned up a little bit and displayed in the main street, and of course, they took a picture. Wells Fargo awarded Truesdale $1,000. The federal government threw in another 1000 and Southern Pacific gave him $500. Wells Fargo also gave him a gold watch with a gold fob. So I don't know what was in that baggage car, but everyone was darn happy that those brave men had thwarted that train robbery. All of the cash that Truesdale ended up with was about $67,000 in today's money. Not bad, when train robbers usually, the reward was only about 300 per conviction back in 1912. Now, Truesdale, the hero of this whole affair, was said to have been very nonchalant about his actions in saving the train from the robbers. In fact, Reagan later described his demeanor when the train pulled into Sanderson, saying it was as if he was intending to deliver dead train robbers all along. Well, now we come to the part of the episode I call Getting There, where I tell you how to see some of the places I talk about in the episode. Kilpatrick and Hoback were unceremoniously thrown into the same hole in Sanderson's Cedar Grove Cemetery. Um, If you read uh, about this, you'll read that they were buried in a common grave, but one account of the time talks about them being thrown in the same hole. In 1985, the Terrell County Historical Commission erected a double tombstone over their common grave. So head out to Sanderson, Texas, and the Cedar Grove Cemetery, and you'll see it. The robbery occurred about 10 miles east of Sanderson on the north side of Highway 90. There's a historical marker on the side of the road close to Dryden. Look over at the railroad track, and you'll see Baxter's Curve. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Wise About Texas. Uh, Thank you very much for listening today. Go uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you don't mind. That helps other people find the show. Go like and share our Facebook page, Wise About Texas, and we're on Instagram and Twitter at Wise About Texas. I mentioned the show's patrons during the episode. If you'd like to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, head over to Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash WiseAboutTexas, and you can support the show. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Wise About Texas. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.